if you have your Bibles and like to turn there, we're in Judges, which is all the way in the Old Testament. It's two books past the Pentateuch. And it's been a, an amazing ride for us to see and start to see the things that are happening in the Old Testament and how they point forward to our need for Jesus. When I was in college, I had a favorite mug. It never held coffee because coffee smells good but doesn't taste good. Sorry. But but being the, you know, had a fun logo on it or whatever, and, and, and because I'm being the um, very coordinated person that I am, one time I had it on the edge of a table, and you know what happened? I just sort of swept it off, and it fell to the floor, and it cracked. Now, it didn't crack into little tiny pieces all over. They were kind of big pieces, so I was like, okay, I'm fixing this thing. I got it together, and I got the, the super glue out, and you kind of glued it all together. But there were just a few little slivers that had, like, I don't know, I couldn't find. So I could never actually put anything in it anymore. Actually, I could, but it would just go out. That's where coffee should go. Then it would just go out on the, no. But eventually I just threw it away because it was broken. It wasn't really fixable, you know. Okay, with, with that, I want you to keep that in mind as we, as we walk through our story today. There are some amazing pieces to our story that you need to hear. This piece of preaching from the Old Testament. But I don't know that you're going to see it right away. I want to walk through the story, see this story. It's a, it's a terrible story. And then I want to talk about the implications for you. So as we walk through it pretty quickly, I just want you to read along with me, if you will. It's Joshua, the end of chapter 8. We're going to pick it up in verse 33. It's after Gideon dies, Judges 8. And I want to talk about how sin and how evil is on our own heads and what that means for you. Because it means something pretty heavy and pretty hopeful. Okay, here we go. We're going to talk first about evil because this story is just a story of amazement. It's Abimelech who's Gideon's son. And I want to pick it up in verse 33 of chapter 8 in Judges. Here's the story. As soon as Gideon had died... The people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Berit their god. Baal Berit's really interesting. It's a it's a word that means Baal of the covenant. Somehow they, there's this god is the god of the covenant that they're going after. And the people of Israel did not remember Yahweh their god who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he'd done to Israel. So here our story, our scene comes up, and, and, and again, like we've seen many times already, and we'll see times again, they forget God. They do it quickly. And they have Baal promises that they're getting into, and, and now we get to see the next judge. He's going to judge Shechem. There's a shift that's going to happen right here in chapter 9. Here we go. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, that's Gideon, right? He went to Shechem, to his mother's relatives, and he said to them, and to the whole of his mother's clan, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbaal rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember that I am also your bone and your flesh. So he went to his family, this 
son of a concubine of Gideon, and, and Gideon has 70 other kids with a happy home. And, 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 then, and then he says, hey, you don't want those guys to be in charge. You want me to be in charge. And his mother's relatives spoke to all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. Their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. So, so here he is in his hometown of Shechem. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Barit. Catch that, out of the house of the false god. And with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. Wouldn't you like that to be your name? I'm a reckless fellow. And he went to his father's house at Oprah and he killed his brothers the sons of Jerubbaal, 70 men on one stone. The idea is he captured them one at a time, brought them out, and killed them. Next, killed this cold-blooded murder. But, but Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left, for he hid himself, and all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and they made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. An amazing thing, this murderer and killer, now they've made him the king. When this was told to Jotham, that's the remaining son of Gideon, right? He went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim, and he cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out. He's going to tell us a little parable. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored to go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Like, what is he talking about? He's talking about the idea of having someone rule over you like a king. This is the first king. Really, Gideon had sort of done it in an underhanded way, perhaps. But here, Abimelech has been coming king. And so why would you ask someone to be ruler and not just be productive in the things that they're doing? The olive tree makes olives. Why do you want him to go rule over people? He's something to do. Right. Then all the trees said to the bramble, oh, the bramble, the one who has no purpose, the one who's a pest and you want to cut out, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire comes out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. See, if you really want to be under the bramble, fine, says the bramble. Come be under me. I have nothing. But if not, what bramble really does well is burn. Now, therefore, says Jotham, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, if you've dealt with Jerubbaal in his house and have done him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, 
And you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative. If then you have acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubbaal and his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech. Let him rejoice in you also. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. Jotham ran away and fled, went to Beir and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. Okay, so this whole setup, right, of this story is, is hey, if you've done well, then fine. But, but that's not really the question, right? It's a rhetorical question. It's a statement that's already happened. When someone comes up and says, hey, if you really dealt honestly with this, then great. But he knows very well that you've killed all his brothers. That they paid money to go hire people to murder. It's too late. There's no turning around. They've already acted very badly. There's no going back. It's not, this is not a call to repentance that happens here in Judges chapter 9. They've already acted badly. The 69 brothers are dead. This is a call to judge. Jotham saying, this is on your head. It's one of the big problems with the concept of feeling bad, a concept even of repentance, right? I mean, be honest about it. Feeling bad for sin. It's too late. Once I sweep my mug off and it breaks, it's too late for me to make it a clean mug again. I'm sorry that it happened. I feel bad. But, but it's broken. It, you've messed up your, your beautiful thing. You, and, and I guess I just, I guess I want you to feel that initially today as we read this story. Have you ever really sinned? You realize it messes you up. It messes up relationship. It messes up your life. It breaks things. All that's left then in this story is about what happens to these evil ones that have messed up. Messed up is a kind word to say done evil. Right? Not just Abimelech. Abimelech's a bad, but Abimelech is the judge. And he's evil. And he's going to go interact with Shechem. People of Israel. Shechemites are Israelites. And what's going on? Okay, so let's, the story keeps going. So let's go. Abimelech ruled over Israel for three years. He's the judge. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubbaal might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them and on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. Yeah, you're not missing it. God sent an evil spirit. He sent discord. That's the Lord at work. Whoa. And the leaders of Shechem, this is how it worked out. They put men in ambush against him in the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along that way. And it was told to Abimelech. So here they are, the men of Shechem aren't listening to Abimelech as their king. They're doing stuff on their own to rob people. So Abimelech heard of this. 
And in verse 26, there's this man, Gaal, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives. And the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. Hey, we like this new guy. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them on and held a festival. And they went to the house of their God and they ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. We don't like this Abimelech king guy. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, who is Abimelech and who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbaal? Is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? Would that these people were under my hand. Then I would move, remove Abimelech and I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. So he's saying, I don't like Abimelech. Why are we serving him? And so Zebul, the ruler of the city, that's the city of there at Shechem, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his anger was kindled. He's Abimelech's guy. And so he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they're stirring up this city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set up an ambush in the field. And then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. Okay, so there's guys now that are against Abimelech. And so the loyal city ruler for Abimelech goes says, Hey, Abimelech, go hide out and set an ambush up, and you can kill him. One faction against the other, right? And so Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him arose from the ambush. And when Gaal saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, You mistake the shadows of the mountains for men. Treachery. What? What? Oh, there's people out there. I think there's people coming to attack. Oh, no, no, your eyesight's bad. You just can't see very well. Gaal spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land, and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. So then Zebul said to him, where is your mouth now, you who said, who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? So now he says, no, no, I see people coming. Yeah, they're coming to get you. Are not these the people you despise? Go now and fight with them. And so Gaal went out with all the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And, and Abimelech lived at Arumah, and Zebul drove out Gaal and his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. This is, you guys, this is days of our lives. Right? That's what's happened. It's like this guy's going over here and this guy. In order to get power, Abimelech killed all of his brothers. Seventy of them. Sixty-nine. He got into power, and now he can't hold power because he's, there's, there's discord and there's fighting and infighting, and they're going back and forth, and he's having to put down revolts and rebellions among the people. So what is he doing? He's not killing Midianites, Amorites, Canaanites. He's killing Israelites. This is a horror. Let's finish. So in 42, there it goes. On the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told. He took his people, he divided them into three companies. 
and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and he saw the people coming in the city, so he rose against them and killed them. So Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city, his city, the one he rules. All that day, he captured the city, killed the people who were in it, and he raised the city, and he sowed it with salt. And so nothing would grow there again. So Abimelech took Shechem, right? He raised the city. He sold beauty to ashes. Shechem is one of the most beautiful spots, according to the people who, were, who think about the land then. One of the most beautiful spots in Israel at the time. And this is horror. This is evil, this fighting and treachery. But, but look, look, look. Look where the leaders retreat to who are fighting against Abimelech. Into the tower, the tower of the God of the Covenant, not Yahweh, Baal. Their hope is in the God of the world, right? Look, when all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard it, they entered into the stronghold of the house of El-Barith. That means God of the Covenant. Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. And Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood and took it up and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the men who were with him, what you've seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle and following Abimelech, put these dried brambles against the stronghold. And they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the Tower of Shechem also died. About a thousand men and women. He killed them all. Now, not for Yahweh, not faithfully, but they covenanted with another god and they died. And Abimelech's the judge that kills the followers of Baal. Evil killing evil. Right? Then verse 50, then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city. All the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in. And they went up to the roof of the tower. Tower fighting redux, chapter 2. Into their temple, to the bad guy God, they go. And Abimelech comes to put down the rebellion. And Abimelech, verse 52, came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman there threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, A woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. What's the big deal about a woman killing him? It just means you're weak in that culture. That's wrong. That's what they thought, right? I don't want to be weak. And when men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his own home. Fitting in to a tragic tale. I only wanted to be seen as strong and great and I'm holding it together. Yeah, so drop the millstone on his head. Evil man used for killing other evil people and onto his head. God does this. You don't think any of this is an accident, do you? Why do I know that? Because look at verse 46, 56. He says, thus 
God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal. That, that, that's the point, right? Their evil returned on their head. Their own heads. God sees it all. They don't understand he's actually in control. He will visit evil on evil. Abimelech is evil, judging evil Shechem. And this is the story. Everything's all messed up. It's like a ball of yarn, and it's just all tangled. There's no rightness in it, except God puts evil on its own head. It's a bad enough story, you know. Why do we have these stories in the Bible? What's going on with this exactly? I think there's something here you might not know. Something here that might be new to you depends upon how much you know about Shechem. What do you know about Shechem? I would have said a couple years ago, nothing. So let me share with you why this is not just bad, but a horror. What happened here is a horror that does touch you. Why, why do I say that? Because there's, Shechem is a beautiful place. It's a place of great beauty, not just Physically, we think back then, but also, also, spiritually. There's something very special about Shechem. Here's what's special about it. You know my whole relationship with God is based on a promise God made to a man named Abraham. Do you remember Abraham? Abraham, who was taken out of the land of Ur and pulled in, and God sat him down there in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. He made a covenant with him to say, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you a people and a land. Where did Abraham come from, Ur? Where did Abraham go? Let's go look. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah, At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and says, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an an altar to Yahweh who had appeared to him. What's going on? Abraham, Father Abraham, when he first comes into the promised land that God's going to give him, and he makes, what does he do? He makes an altar where? At Shechem. Shechem's where he talked to God. This place that we've been talking about with Abimelech. It gets more interesting. You know, when um, when Jacob, remember Jacob was a trickster, remember him? He was uh, Abraham's grandson, right? And, and, and he went and he fled to Laban and he did this stuff with the goats and he brought his flock. When he came back, he settled somewhere. Where do you think he settled? You're, you're going to be able to get all these answers really easily now. Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem which is in Genesis 33, to the land of Canaan on his way from Padan Aram. And he camped before the city. And, and from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. So, so Jacob came and this became his spot, you know. He dug a well there. It's called Jacob's well. He lived there in Shechem. And when he was dead, he was buried there. 
Not just him. What we read earlier. Remember what we read earlier? Where Joshua gathered all the tribes together and they pledged that they would obey Yahweh. They would obey God. All the tribes said, yeah, no, this is too hard. No, it's not too hard of us. We will obey Yahweh. We will serve Yahweh. Where was that? Where did they come all together and pledge that they would do this? Joshua 24. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And they summoned the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel. They presented themselves to God. And then we get to verse 14, which I read already. But now therefore Joshua says to them, fear Yahweh, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve Yahweh. And what do the people say? We will. And Joshua says, no, 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 this is too hard for you. God will not forgive you if you just abandon. No, 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 no. We will serve Yahweh. And they set up a stone there under this big tree in Shechem. And just one generation later, what's going on? The beautiful, amazing cup, vase, covenant, promise, wonder that God has done for people. They're throwing it to the ground, right? At Shechem, Abimelech is killing one at a time, maybe on the very stone, his brothers. At Shechem is where the people are saying, we we don't want Yahweh of the covenant, we want Baal of the covenant. Don't then, and the the Jewish literature says he's called Baal of the covenant because they were covenanting that they didn't even want to be apart from him for one moment. They would carry around these special little things in their pockets and touch them all the time to just reaffirm them that their God was with them. What God? Their fake God. This is ruined. This is the area that now Abimelech is sowing with salt so nothing will grow there again. This is evil men doing evil. This is no one remembering God. This is following after other gods. It's too late for these people. This would become the place, you know, we won't, this has become the place where the kingdom split, where Solomon's son in days yet to come would take the the southern kingdom and, and the northern kingdom would go off to other, to Jeroboam. Happened here. This is where they finally built their own new temple at this spot on Mount Gerizim to be Samaritans. Samarians? Ugh. Samaritans. This marks something. What does it mark? The taking of beauty and making ashes. Beauty to ashes. So come on, look at your life. Your beautiful life given by God. Your amazing life. Tell me you haven't ruined it. Tell me you haven't sinned. Tell me that it's okay that you've sinned. It doesn't matter. Tell me that it doesn't have an effect on you and all around you. You can't. Because you have. I guess I do that because I don't want you to find hope like I tried to find hope when I knocked my cup off in the pieces of the cup to try and put them back together with super glue. 
If only I could put my cup back together with super glue. If only my super glue was good enough. If only I could find all the pieces. I will make this better. I will make this right. And there's no right because it's already so broken I can't find all the pieces. And it's good to feel that. It's good to feel how bad it is. It's good to feel the evil of sin and to realize you and I, I, I if I say I'm not a sinner, I'm a liar, that, that I, I've done it and my beauty to ashes. So what do I do with that? Do I try harder? Do I say, okay, I'm going to try a little harder, God. I'm going to find every piece. I'm going to use more super glue. No, there's actually one more scene with Shechem. You need to see this. It's really fun. There's hope, you know. At Shechem. It's in the Gospel of John. Jesus goes to Shechem in, in the Gospels. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in chapter 4, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist, he left Judea, it says. He departed for Galilee, and he came through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Yeah, that's where Joseph was buried. Jacob's well. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. What's the deal? The Son of God comes to Shechem. That's what Jacob's well is. That's where it was. This place that had been salted, the place that had been the site of evil, the place where God's people had had, had said yes and, and, and done no, and, and the evil of it and the wrongness of it and the depth of it, you can't overstate. And in comes Jesus. Nothing but condemnation, right? I mean, that, I mean, come on, he's going to come and say, you know, you guys screwed up so bad, it's just done. And 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 no, actually, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. She's from the area. She's a Shechemite. Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink." For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. And, and the Samaritan woman said to him, "How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Not just because of this story in Judges, because afterwards they mixed with the people. They weren't supposed to do it. They hated the Samaritans. They're evil. They had their own temple that they built there. This is crazy bad. These people. And here comes God, and He doesn't say, "You broke the cup." It's already broken. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. And see, this whole new interaction comes. Not, oh, if you would just clean yourself up, but if you would receive life. This is, this is the person who, and I put it in your bulletin in John 4, 26, through this interaction where Jesus actually identifies himself as the Messiah to this woman in the middle of Shechem. Oh, I am talking, and he, I am eternal life for you. 
You and I fit right in today into this story of Judges. I'm telling you we do. We are broken. We are, we are in pieces. We are not working rightly because sin affects us and it rightly does. And, and we repent of the sin. I wish I didn't sin. And then I go and sin some more. Where's my hope that I would sin less and tamp it down and make the cup better again? No. The hope that you and I have is that Jesus Christ comes and he comes in and says, if you'll trust me, I've got living water for you. That broken cup, ashes. Death comes because of your sin. You're going to die. But through death, we have resurrection. Jesus Christ, my trust is he will resurrect us. He will resurrect you. He will resurrect me if we trust him, if we receive him, if we stop with the making the cup again and we say, oh, Jesus, I am broken. Please, I, I receive you. This is the hope we have, you and I. It's too late to use super glue. It's not too late to say to our maker, I receive you. I'm amazed that you love me still. And I put my trust in you. Into our dying world comes a savior. He gives living water. And we die because we sin, but we're promised resurrection life forever. Jesus Christ has come into our darkness and he is light. Hey, this is why we rejoice this morning. Even in a terrible tragedy tale like Judges 9. Let's pray.